This episode was recorded before the death of the director, Michael Ferguson. Welcome to Happy Times and Places, a positively inclined Doctor Who episode commentary podcast in which I, Toby Haydock, get a special guest to choose their favourite things about a story, and I have to then guess what those favourite things are. Hi there, my name is Pip Maidley, and I suppose I'm best known for being a Doctor Who nerd on Twitter, so if you're a fellow Doctor Who nerd on Twitter, then perhaps you might have heard of me. I'm taking time out today from babysitting Mavellans to watch one of my personal favourites. It's the classic 1966 William Hartnell story, The War Machines. Well, welcome everybody. It's time for the last episode of The War Machines. So I would like you to get ready with your own machines. And we're going to press play. In three, two, one, go. Uh, so here we go. The This is the last episode of the last fully surviving Hartnell story. Um, which this wasn't when I was a Ben. So what was? Was it the, the gunfighters? How extraordinary. Um... So I'm glad this got, and again, it's different, isn't it? Uh, it's a different colour scheme. So, episode four. Um, so I don't think I've talked enough about the fact that this um, predicts the internet. That was the sort of thing that you'd always use to arm yourself against people who say, Doctor Who's rubbish. You go, actually, it predicted that we'd have a female prime minister as if somehow, you know, getting something right that turned out to be true was somehow a... A, a sign of brilliance um but it is it is an extraordinary thing that uh, the first one set in the modern day uh predicts you know a worldwide network of computers which you know i mean it's it's had slightly more impact on our life than causing the quite slow building of a cumbersome machine <laughs> uh, or several but um but it's a you know it's a smart sci-fi idea, and tying in with the post office tower as well uh, is 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 nice too, um, you know, and sort of communication superhighways that we now take for granted. Uh, now this is quite Quatermassy because Quatermass often told its stories via the media, and uh, and then Russell T Davis does it, doesn't he, with Aliens of London and things like that, and and. Uh, uh, you know Trinity Wells and all of that. Whereas here we have Kenneth Kendall appearing as himself. He was a genuine uh, newsreader. Um, so this, so this one is lovely. Always write it like it when real newsreaders appear as themselves, especially somebody as uh, illustrious as Kenneth Kendall, who was you know, very highly thought of. Um, uh, and you know, yeah, this is very reminiscent of the the although they were speaking parts in in Quatermass. You know, the the pub. The pub watching uh, events unfolded, particularly in Quatermass and the Pit, um, which is a great way of sort of saying the nation is aware of this, uh, and you know, the idea that panic is spreading, uh, and it's a great way of doing sort of exposition as well. Uh, here we have a, a minister played by George Cross, named after the medal. Ha! Huh. Um, but uh, 
but yeah, this is Doctor Who very much sort of with the movers and shakers in Whitehall. This is sort of yes, yes, Prime Minister, the alien invasion. Uh, uh, but yes, uh, so so I, I like the fact that they 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 managed to get Ken, Kenneth Kendall in to play himself. Um, this is Edward Colliver, who I think a friend of mine got in touch with relatively recently, but uh, not 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 seen him do anything else. Don't know anything about him. Uh, oh, is that a slightly broken thing he's got there? There's a bit of a hole in the top of his radio. Um, this is pretty grim, isn't it? Because don't the war machines start turning on everybody now? Uh, yes, because obviously, yes, yeah, Votan, the computer, has decided that uh, it can do without mankind. Uh, now, that music is used in one of the cyber stories. It's Tomb of the Cybermen. Um, uh, and it's a, it's a lovely paranoia about, you know, machines wiping us out. Interesting, the paranoia now is, you know, what does this information superhighway do with our information? You know, and are we, you know, prey to, you know, an invasion of our privacy, a, a control of us? Uh, now, that uh, is listed in the discontinuity guide as a mistake that Ben knocks the... Uh, it's a wonderful book, the discontinuity guide. One of the first sort of synthesis, syntheses of um, loving the show, but sort of highlighting some of its shortcomings. And it would show, it, it listed goofs, but it says that that bit there is... Ben knocking the end off the gun and uh, sticking it back on again. No, it's not. It's a plot point. Ben drops the doctor's ring, goes to give it to him, but the doctor's chatting away, so he gives up and he and he uses the ring. The ring is important later on, so it's not actually a mistake. Yours was the mistake, discontinuity guide, um, because the the end of the gun doesn't get knocked off. Um, uh, so yes, yeah, so the, the yes, the idea of the the internet superhighway. Um, I mean, yeah, all Wotan needed to do was really go on Twitter, uh, and uh, and you know wind people up by trolling them uh, with you know Wotan one six nine two seven five or whatever. Now he's, is he going to get? I think he does get killed now. That's pretty grim, yeah, uh, because uh, the war machines are now. Uh, going to start destroying us uh, I'm going to sneeze, I've got hay fever no I'm not um, I'd, I, I wish I'd picked up on Pip's idea of the of the branding uh, <laughs> doesn't, doesn't, doesn't hide his purpose yeah so the brainwashing thing is, is odd because Major Green spent the whole thing sort of killing off slaves and all of that sort of thing and, and so what has he been uh, sort of totally under the control of Votan but then he needed sort of Polly to say oh the doctor banged his head then um, Polly to say uh, Votan thinks this should happen so um, it's it's the level of what's already been programmed into them by Votan and what they need to be told by by particularly by Professor Brett or Professor Crimpton um is never quite certain. Oh, dear old Alan. He was a proper, he was a fine Abenazer pantomime guy, but he was also a, a sort of English blazer wearing English gent, uh, cricket lover, uh, utter gentleman, uh, uh, and, uh, you know, very stoical. Taught himself to write again after his stroke uh, so that he could sign autographs largely for Doctor Who fans, though he did carry on as well. 
Uh, didn't get much to do in this episode, but he was a nice, nice fellow. Uh, yeah. Gosh, they're all dead now. Because John Rolfe, yeah, John Rolfe died last year too. Uh, last year was Alan Curtis this year. God, I'm a anorak-clad harbinger of doom. Um, this is John Slavid, who's also in the uh, in the massacre. Uh, uh, but uh, some of this scene is cut, isn't it? And and this is where they have to uh, 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 piece bits of it together. That's beautiful quality, that film. So that that bit of his... Oh, it's a Toby Ale, one of the few references to me in Doctor Who. Um, uh, so the, 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 his final lines, I think, were originally... Um, uh, it was still him on camera. Um, and this is Dwight Wiley, uh, who's... What's he? What's he credited as? Radio announcer. He is also playing himself. Dwight Wiley was the first black radio announcer employed by the BBC. He went on to have an illustrious broadcasting career in Jamaica and Canada. Um, but yes, made history and also makes history here as the first credited black speaking performer in Doctor Who. I think, uh, although. Julian Cherrier, who is Zephon in the Daleks' master plan, uh, was uh, of Indian descent. Um, and I think Chris Cornelis, who's credited as a, a Saracen in the Crusade, uh, but he doesn't actually have any lines. I love that shot of the war machine in the water with the bike. This film stuff is absolutely glorious. I love it. Um, uh and there's a couple of ex prominent extras like Sam Mansory, who's one of the delegates uh, in Mission to the Unknown. But I think combination of speaking and a credit uh, is Dwight Wiley, but you don't see him. So then you've got Elroy Josephs as Jamaica in the next story, The Smugglers. Um, it's just interesting to note, um, you know, that it's that it's something that one comments upon in in the 60s because it is such an infrequent uh, occurrence up, or, or not an occurrence up until this point. Um, but I just say that as a point of interest because you can't see Dwight Wiley, so some people might not uh, know what he represented and who he was. Uh, but he's a, he also is a person who plays himself. Michael Ferguson's really interesting with his camera, isn't he? He'll start on people's feet, uh, and he and he sort of. Oh, I think here's another cut. Yeah. So this 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 quote that close up of Votan was originally a shot of. Uh, Polly and Professor Brett but because it's a threat of death uh, it has been cut uh, and replaced with a shot of Odin. I mean it's a really interesting thing to buy a science fiction series and they go anytime anyone is threatened with death we shall cut it I mean what do you expect to happen um, God I don't know how many murder mysteries were hacked to pieces unlike any of the people in the murder mysteries uh, who who just disappeared uh, off screen and nobody referred to their deaths uh, Hartnell's on brilliant form in this and I, I I'd, I'd quite like to see him teaming up with William Mervyn quite a lot William Mervyn's one of those people who, who sort of always look the same age but I think he was only in his 60s when he died um, but I do like the combination of, of Sir Charles and, and Doctor Who um 
Uh, and it's interesting the sort of variation in quality we've got of some of this film. Some of it's quite grainy. That's a ropey shot. Uh, that is that Mike Reed. Mike Reed from EastEnders. He does get a close up later. Um, uh, my, yeah, that uh, is him on the left. Mike Reed from EastEnders played Frank Butcher, was a stand up comedian and uh, 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 yeah, a very recognisable figure uh, in the UK for decades, especially. Uh, sort of in the in the 80s and 90s when he was in EastEnders as a regular. Um, but he was known before that. Uh, but he wasn't known at this point where he's uh, an extra playing a soldier in The War Machines. And another comedian, Mike Yarwood, who was extremely famous as an impressionist. Not a very good one, but uh, the only one. Again, that's a bit like, you know... Uh, 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 um, a lot, a lot of things in the sort of 60s, 70s, if you were the only one, and he was the only impressionist. But anyway, he was huge, and his shows were loved and watched by many. Uh, he was supposed to be an extra in this, but he had a dentist's appointment, and he never returned from it. So uh, Mike Yarwood was never an uncredited extra in Doctor Who, but if he, if he was going to be one, it would have been in this story. Um, I love the way that Ben... Uh, announces himself as companion material. Um, John Boyd Brent as the sergeant. He's one of the actually you think you've seen some. Actually, hasn't done all that much, and and I think stopped acting in the late sixties, or his last credit goes up to the late sixties. But he didn't die till two thousand and five. And you sort of think, I wonder what I wonder what he got up to, and I wonder if sitting there he, he knew that there'd be somebody like me who if I if I happened upon him while he was mowing his lawn would have been so excited because he'd been in Doctor Who. Uh, and he was around, as I say, till 2005. So he's sort of contactable, uh, you know, somebody who could have had stories to tell, but we uh, we never did. Um, it, we just missed a, a bit of uh, Mike Reed there. I, I love this these shots through the railings. Michael Ferguson's a terrific director. He knows how to make it look splendid. Um, and you know, this is fairly straightforward stuff. It's it's uh, it's it's soldiers trying to put a box in a box in a in in. In, in, in a wrestling ring um, but Ben has totally announced himself as a companion love the fact there's a phone box there as well uh, the newer phone box the red phone box um, but the war machines are very cumbersome but doesn't matter Ben has announced himself as the hero there he's uh, and he's very pretty isn't he handsome boy um, but he, you know Ben is is deferent to the doctor uh, he's he's uh, you're brave uh, with Polly, uh, but he also has a sense of duty. Um, uh, but he's also game uh, and 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 does you know does does the brave thing because he thinks he should. I, I think I, I love Ben and Polly. I I do wish they had uh, more of a stint. Really, I I I don't know quite why. Inner's Lloyd fell out of love with them. I think Fraser Hines as Jamie is is great, and it was unfortunate timing for them. But uh, uh, I do think, as a result, we didn't get as much as we could have done out of, I think, a very underrated team, Ben and Polly. And I do hope that they got married and lived happily ever after. Uh, and I'm I'm sorry that Michael Craze died relatively young. Uh, uh, and uh, and. Uh, I thought could have had maybe a better, a better career. Um, Hartnell, Hartnell has a great face. He's got a brilliant hat. Uh, and uh, 
it's it's full of beans. I mean, it's not it's is is not in any way uh, seem like a liability, you know, seeing as he's actually gone in eight episodes time. Uh, although he was obviously he was he was poorly, but also he's not that old, like William Mervyn. I mean, there are, there are people their age now who are sex symbols. <laughs> you know what I mean, uh, whereas these these look like a couple of great grandfathers. Um, but I'm loving the amount of film on this. I'd forgotten how much beautiful film there is. Carl Conway. Uh, he's used by Michael Ferguson in Ambassador's Death. I like the verisimilitude. Ah, the verisimilitude alert. I use that word too often. Um, of all the sort of, you know, people on telephones in the background and, and, and there's lots of sort of stuff going on. But Carl Conway is in the Ambassadors of Death, but he's also in one of the first um, nudie films. Uh, when, when they had to do nudist camp films, you know, so it's not porn or anything. It was, it was, it was films, you know, set in a naturist place. So therefore you could see. I think bums and boobs, um, uh, and but I—it's the film that's shown at the beginning of Carry On Camping. They're all watching in the cinema. The one of the stars of that is Carl Conway, and another one is Katie Cashfield, who's a who's one of the uh, thals in uh, in uh, in the very first Dalek story. Um, they're 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 sort of extras, but they all get a credit in episode seven. Um, uh, so yes, Carl Conway did uh, did one of the first new D films. He was also a pirate radio dj um i love uh, i love all the special sounds very good again no yeah because no incidental music this set's rather nice as well actually um it doesn't doesn't quite convince you it's outside um but i think that's a slight lighting problem but i it's 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 attractive looking and it, it's a, it's an interesting backdrop because it's because it's receding into the background with i think a cheaty cheaty perspective behind the, uh, the, the, the the metal work there. Oh, before noon, he... Uh, that, that's a bit police squad, isn't it? A uh, uh, bit of back projection there for the uh, zooming war machine. But uh, no, that's okay. That's okay. Uh, it's quite fun. Um, oh, we're back to the room where the two baddies yell the plot at each other. Um, Bit of, yeah, it's a bit of a waste of John Cater. I wish he'd done another Doctor because he's so good. Whereas John Harvey comes back. John Harvey as Professor Brett, who I think is very bad in this because he does bad science fiction acting. Um, but he's really good in uh, The Macro Terror, which uh, Sandra Bryant is also in. I've, I haven't got a... I haven't got a clue what Votan is saying, unfortunately. I wonder why they went for a echoey whisper uh that's belting along isn't it i know it's slightly speeded up but that's all right that looks good that looks good that looks good no that's fine um uh, there's there's not really a hartnell story like this um but i mean yeah look at and i and i like the use of the the post office tower as a sort of geographical motif to really center it in the in the now i always get a little thrill when i can see it looks giant doesn't it over london now it, i mean it wouldn't it it, it it would have some serious competition scattered around it um um 
so yeah, and, and Ben, continuing his quest to be a companion, uh, goes goes to save Polly. Uh, good for him. Why and why do they pronounce it Votan? Because it's it is it is with a W. Um, uh, uh, and I did ask Mike for a second. I couldn't couldn't remember. But it, I, I remember when I first watched this, and I because I'd always thought it was called Wotan. Uh, it did seem a slightly odd choice to say Wotan, especially when it's an acronym. It's not called the Vill-operated, what, what it, what you know, thought and analog or whatever it is. It's called the Will oper. You know, what, it's, it's he, he, it does go quite a complicated route, Professor Crimpton here to do that. Um, and, and seeing as he was the one that uh, that resisted, I think it's slightly unfair that of the ones to die. Uh, it happens to be the person who worked the hardest not to submit. Now, doesn't he? Doesn't he climb out of the way? Yes, you could just see John Cater getting the hell out of there because he didn't want to get squashed and blown up. Um, but yeah, I, I I think it's really slightly unfair that of all the if if any of the characters were to sort of have a a, a thematically appropriate death, it would perhaps be Professor Brett rather than poor old Professor Crimpton. Who's who's just hurried back into place again? Uh, uh, and uh, and oh yes, so um, uh, well that's a bit of a shame. So it's 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 a fairly straightforward uh, Denimon, isn't it? The, the the doctor sends the machine to uh, to shoot Wotan. I mean, it's it's fairly uh, plot-wise, it's it's pretty straightforward. But I don't think it matters because. Basically, the the pull of this episode is, you know, war machines in London or war machine in London and the sort of worldwide thing going on, which I think is all very cleverly portrayed. Um, and here we get poor old Dodo's uh, off-camera exit, which I think is a bit of a blow. Um, anyone been to the, that corner of London? Um, I should go there, really. Uh, I'm, sure, I'm sure it's been identified where it is. My geography is terrible. I'd have to look that up. Um, Oh, and look at them. Don't they look great? I love Polly's costume there. Don't they look absolutely terrific? She looks brilliant in that hat uh, and, and 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 the sort of Bretonny shirt thing. I think I think I think they look just so modern and game and exciting and beautiful the pair of them. Uh I'd I'd love to have sp I'd I'd love to have more space adventures with them. Uh, she, uh, and and she's been sacked in a really callous manner and you're never going to see her again uh hms teaser i've never noticed that before so ben's ship is the hms teaser uh and i and i i like i like the out of order little joke as well so yeah so ben hadn't knocked the thing off the end of the gun he's got the doctor's ring uh isn't isn't that isn't isn't that why they go back to the tardis Something strange about that police box. That was in one of the documentaries. Key. The ring, is it? Ah, oh, yeah, it's not the Doctor's ring. It's the Doctor's key that falls out of his cloak when he was didn't knock the end off the gun. Uh, so they've got... So that's why it's a plot point. Ben's got, Ben's got the spare key. Uh, go on, Ben. You, it's your time travel. And you're going to land back in the, on the same day, on the most invaded day of the of the Earth. Because whilst this is going on, the chameleons are also trying, uh, and the Daleks are there to kidnap the Doctor. So what a day! 
uh, and love that. And then you have this funny look from uh, two people, uh, one of whom is Doreen Ubels, who was in, uh, who was one of the uh, the tribe in the very first Doctor Who story. So she's in the first complete Hartnell, and she's in the last complete Hartnell. And the, the, it's revealed that the voice of Votan is Gerald Taylor. So we don't get the and Votan credit, but by God, I'm happy it was there for the first three. And well done, Gerald Taylor, because he's often inside a, a monster. Oh, Eric Mival, who did, he, did, he was the music editor on The Prisoner. Um, I think he's still around, actually. Um, because he was very young when he did The Prisoner, which surprised me. Yes, I'd forgotten he'd done Doctor Who. Um, uh, but yes, um, yeah, Gerald Taylor, you know, uh, uh, Dalek operator, but he's also Damon's assistant in The Underwater Menace. Uh, Baker's man in the demons and his best part, Vega Nexos, in uh, in the monster of Peladon, in which I think he's very very good. But uh, he got to do uh, whispering whispering Bob Wotan uh, <laughs> uh, as well. So well, that was a joyous. I think it, I still think it's a fairly thin plot, and I do think there is a little too much of John Harvey going. And now we are going to do this. Uh, uh, and uh, and for and Curtis going do this thing do this thing um, uh, and uh, 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 but but I, I, I like the modernness of it I like the I, you know the, the 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 idea of the network of computers uh, Doctor Who in modern London Ben and Polly all of that I I do think the rest of season three or a lot of the rest of season three is more interesting um, so I'm I I am sad that. This does better in polls, which I, I guess due to it existing, but also I think it's probably more the sort of story most people want Doctor Who to be. And I'm I'm aware I'm probably being slightly pretentious going, but I, I like the more cerebral, slightly duller and odder stuff of the uh, uh, Tiles Wash, the uh, Wiles Tosh, Tiles and Wash, uh, Wiles and Tosh. Um, uh, era but I do I'm drawn to that but I'm also drawn to a lot of it because it's missing and we can't see it and I've always got a thing about have you know conferring status on things you cannot have because that's somehow more tantalizing and more tragic so it's still it's all based on feeling sorry <laughs> sorry for ourselves um so I've got to choose the thing about episode four that I like and I've got to choose a thing overall and I think because Pip mentioned that Votan gets a credit, though he didn't choose it in episode one, he's not going to choose that. So I'm going to do a bit of gamesmanship here because I do love the fact, and I love an and credit. Uh, did I say in episode me, me, my, my friend John Bruford and I uh, always called the actor Paul Winfield and Paul Winfield because in most things that he was in, he got an and credit. And an and credit is a very special thing um, and because uh, 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 it means you're not the star, but you're you're... Uh, slightly different from from uh, the rest of the supporting or main supporting cast because they've sort of separate you out and, and that sometimes you know for a famous actor uh, doing a cameo or just somebody who's got an important part and, and I think it's all to do with money as well they like say well we'll pay you less but we'll give you an end credit so it's a bit more prominent and bloody bloody blah, blah, blah. So it's a if you're a credits junkie which I am the end credit is a marvelous thing and I love the fact that in the whole of classic Doctor Who the only end credit is for a fictional computer um but Pip won't choose that um 
I think I'm going to choose the whole 20th century London, you know, uh, the very similitude of the of the actual, you know, newsreaders and the sort of modern day army. I, th- I think I can have all of those things sort of wrapped up in a kind of contemporary action drama today thing that uh, that very much comes to the fore in episode four. And my thing for the whole story is Ben and Polly. Uh, I love Ben and Polly. I think they look fa- fabulous. I think they're great characters. I think they're both introduced in a really good way. They both get plenty to do. Polly even gets taken over, but she's already she's established herself before that. Ben uh, immediately announces himself as terrific companion material. I think they contrast so love- wonderfully with, with Hartnell. Uh, and I think there could have been a really special relationship there with him being all sort of, um, you know, old and... Uh, no, he's not that grumpy with them, but but you know the elder statesman with these with these two sort of very loyal. I quite like the fact that they're deference, deferent, and they don't sort of go, "Oi, granddad, you're a bit rubbish." But they're actually, yes, you know, we we respect your years, uh, but we also provide a, a, a youthful contrast to them. So, those are my things. What are Pip Maidley's things that he likes about Episode Four and the War Machines as a whole? great thing number four and i'm afraid this is a bit of a silly one again but yeah just my choice it's the bit where william hartnell nearly smacks his head on the top of the war machine in episode four it's just the sort of instinctive reaction he swerves away from it it's just so human and real and i love the fact that they couldn't cut those things out in the 60s because you know of time and money tapes and all that TV needs more of that, just a, a sort of really human touch. And, you know, it's a good thing he didn't smack his head, of course, but it's funny to watch. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. This is, this is his whole thing. Okay, so last one. And if you've got this, Toby, I'll be amazed. My bonus choice from the War Machines, it's the absolutely ridiculous moustache that's been sported by the army officer standing in the background at Covent Garden in episode 3 he's got a stick as well his moustache is so huge it should have a credit of its own and it even looks like a W so I'm wondering whether Wotan actually gave it him, maybe he was under the control of Wotan because we know how much Wotan loves brand management anyway, yeah, that's the sort of nonsense that I love Doctor Who for really so there you go. <laughs> well, I did notice the moustache, Pip, but uh, I, 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 I think I noticed it last episode, didn't I? Yeah. Uh, but I didn't choose it. It was one of my favourite things. But I do like the idea. Yeah, that's a hint that he's a Wotan. He's a Wotan spy because he normally has his moustache like this. Normally his moustache is facing southerly, but since this morning when he started talking in a monotone, it's pointing to the sky. Uh, and that's that's what they should show at the end if it was a real sort of X-Files Zimon thing. They'd, they'd show him in Whitehall and his moustache would be twitching and you'd hear in his head saying, Doctor Who is required. And his moustache would twitch and, you know, they're still there in Whitehall. Um, so uh, I, I like to think that yes, well, <laughs> one of uh, Wotan's Wotan's military slave is still waiting for phase two uh, uh, of the uh, of the war machine building. Um, 
Well, there we go. Uh, a story that I've, I mean, I've, I like all the black and white stuff, but I, I had a slight beef against not because I didn't like it, but because I think everyone else likes it too much. And what and what an ungenerous way to think that is. And that's what I'm trying to um, uh, inoculate myself against in this process. It's go, it doesn't matter what anybody else does. And, and if if people if if more people like this than the myth makers it doesn't matter it's not it's not going to make any material difference to anybody even if in my view they're wrong because i think the myth makers is just glorious um it doesn't matter and i enjoy it and i thought it was fun and i think it's fine and i could uh, easily uh, enjoy that without worrying about what's gone on before it what's come after it and what how other people receive it lesson to oneself a uh, uh, bit, bit of perspective is required uh, no I enjoyed that and I really like the sort of modern vibe that it has in there uh, and I say it would be nice to see more of Hartnell doing that but actually the fact that he only really does it that time is sort of what makes it uh, so special I know this is the bit on the Empire State Building in the chase which uh, is, is, is you know probably today and there's Planet of Giants but everybody's small but that's that's really the uh, you know that's that's the that's you know the, yes so they qualify but i i think this this one is the what this is self-consciously modern in a way that i think other doctor who prior to that sought to be a, you know a contrast uh, otherworldly or or you know backwards in time uh, whereas actually in this one the contrast with the modern day is is the doctor himself and he looks absolutely great um I mean, it, one, one, I wonder if he had some psychic paper and that's what we didn't see. That's got to be what we didn't see because he just walks into the post office tower. Uh, and I quite like the chutzpah of that. of just going, well, let's not bother with him having to sort of talk his way into it. It's just Doctor Who. Um, so look, and is he Doctor Who? Again, that's up to you. Um, I think he's Doctor Who on the credits, but he's not called Doctor Who. Um, that, that makes no logical sense. But it makes it's what makes sense to me, and that is all that matters. I think you'll find. 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 Well, I couldn't not investigate that moustache, could I? It belongs to the brilliantly monikered Biff Byfield, who is playing his only role in Doctor Who. He was actually. Uh, a saxophonist he played in a jazz band or several so if you can imagine that excellent moustache stripped of its military accoutrements and instead in the smoky dinginess of a jazz club it perhaps takes on a different hue the other excellent moustache belonging to the other military official are actually credited as top brass in the paperwork not on imdb which calls them senior military officer or something but they're actually top brass uh, in the war machines paperwork uh, is lewis alexander who was quite uh, a handy extra because of his excellent neatly trimmed moustache and he quite often played authority figures although like biff this is his only doctor who although lewis was married to aileen lewis who like him was a prolific uh, background artiste and she appeared in an episode of Doctor Who and the Silurians so there are a married couple who both did a Doctor Who Lewis brilliantly lived till 2010 and to be a hundred years old whereas Aileen when she died was 99 see there's I think there are brilliant stories even to be had lurking around 
in stock-hired military uniforms in the back of one single episode of a shot of Doctor Who. I salute you, Biff and Lewis and Aileen, and Biff and Lewis, I salute your moustaches as well. Um, I love you all. Uh, thank you for listening and uh, for watching, if you're doing that, which currently much later because I'm editing the videos uh, much, much further down the line because it takes ages. Um, but anyway, thanks for listening. Um, oh, and as I record this, it's before the Sunday of the European Cup final that England got in as I record this yesterday. And the last time England were in an international final was 1966, when the War Machines was on. So there we go. My release schedule means that that, that will now all be history anyway. But uh, as I speak, it seems quite appropriate. And I hadn't realised that when I uh, started on this uh, particular adventure. I just watched it because I fancied watching it. Um, so maybe, uh, maybe you know, something was being transferred. I mean, I did get a phone call and there was this this funny noise and and... I understand. Thank you so much for listening to Happy Times and Places with me, Toby Haydoke, and my special guest, Pip Maidley, who can be found on Twitter, at Pip Maidley, and I urge you to do so. He'll be the highlight of your day, I'm sure, if you surf the internet looking for enjoyable things with a Doctor Who flavour. I would also like to thank patrons who make these podcasts possible, and they include Mark Findlay-Smith, Rachel T.S., David, who I think wants to be anonymous. I'm not entirely sure. David, if you're out there and you've just joined, I don't know whether you want to keep your name a secret or not. So if you want it in all its glory, drop me a line. Samuel! I don't have your surname either, Samuel. I'm sorry about that, but I love you. Uh, Gary Gillett, Paul Philip Dahlgren, Jason Gorman, Alex Gaffer-Joglu, Chris Phone, Mark Keating, Robert Davis, Scott Pride, Nick Tedston, and Ruben Herfindahl. The music is by Dave Gates. If you too would like to become a patron, you can do so at patreon.com forward slash Toby Haydock. Does anybody listen to these bits? Am I just am I, am I just soliciting in a vacuum? Uh, in which case, I'll make some confessions. I've never eaten a pepperami. Uh, I've never really seen a full episode of Stargate. Uh, none of them. None of the iterations of Stargate. And uh, I once got left a 50p tip by Martin McCutcheon, who doesn't like tomatoes. There we go. It's pretty much the uh, highlights and lowlights of my life there. So that's the sort of bonus stuff you get if you wait behind the end of the credits. It's almost like a Marvel film, isn't it? In In absolutely no way whatsoever. Anyway... That's a long-winded way of saying join up to my patron, patreon.com forward slash Toby Haydoke or ko-fi.com forward slash Toby Haydoke where you can do a one-off payment uh, or you can do the thing that costs you nothing, which is to give these podcasts five stars everywhere you possibly can, especially on Apple and iTunes, because that really helps to make me look attractive to the passing trade. And frankly, this lamppost and the moonlight ain't doing it. OK, I think that's enough soliciting for now. Doctor Who fan isn't my job, you know. Being a comedian is my job. So, you know, if if if, if you like me, do you like me? Come and see me on Tuesday in Manchester, 8pm, XS Malarkey, 24-year-old award-winning comedy club. I am the regular MC. I'm there with four different comics every week. 
Now, Manchester could be quite a trip for some of you, in which case make yourself available on twitch.tv forward slash excessmalarkey on the first Sunday of every month at 8pm and we'll do an online show for you. Again, me, the glue that holds together four acts from the international comedy circuit. That is absolutely free, uh, although there is a donation option available. But uh, yeah, you can get that twitch.tv forward slash excessmalarkey. Okay. All those plugs are now over and you can get on with it if you've listened this far. I don't think you have. In fact, I mean, if you can hear this, obviously you have. But all those others, they haven't. I like you. The others, oh, they don't They don't get to savour the, the, the outro. This is where the real art is. You're the true connoisseurs, not the rest of them. No offence, those of you that aren't listening, but you're not listening, so sausages to you.